The U.S. has finally done it. The third time is the charm. The Americans had defeated Ghana at a World Cup. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. In Brazil is Ivis Galarcep. What's cracking, Ivis? Nothing much, Garrett. It is 1.19 a.m. at night in Sao Paulo. Uh, a little more than 24 hours removed from the historic, dramatic, epic, uh, heart-wrenching, unbelievable finish, ending, result, U.S. national team beating Ghana. And I got to say, it was a roller coaster ride from that first 30 seconds mm-hmm. in with Clint Dempsey's goal all the way down to John Brooks scoring the goal of his life and a goal that a lot of U.S. fans will never forget. Oh, yeah. I, just the immediate reaction from that John Brooks goal. And then you, you talk just a little bit about the heartbreak. Not the heartbreak, but just the emotions that led into it. I mean, those five minutes of stoppage time. I think everyone in America will held their breath for five minutes during that time period. But, I mean, Ivis, you and I, man, we both predicted it. U.S. 2-1 victory. I mean, yes, sir. I, yes, we, sir. We had that right. That we did. We didn't have the goal scorers, but I don't think anybody had uh, – I'm sure some people like Clint Dempsey, but I don't think I don't think anybody had John Brooks scoring the winner in that one. Yeah, uh, unbelievable that that John Brooks uh, just gets that goal for the U.S. the game-winning goal from the Graham Zuzi uh, assist right there. But as we said, Ivis U.S. Men's National Team kicks off the World Cup uh, in the best way possible, capturing three points against Ghana. Going into the next game against Portugal, who also got a beatdown from Germany. But uh, Ivis, your immediate reaction to 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 the U.S. Men's National Team victory over Ghana? Well, you know, I've already started to hear some of the kind of reactions to it. I mean, we're we're a day removed now, and obviously, I think the first uh, the initial responses were just a lot. There was a lot of emotion. So U.S. fans were pretty euphoric, and obviously, there's the neutrals, the ones who aren't emotionally attached. They're going to nitpick it and pick it apart and point out that look, it wasn't a perfect game by any means. No one's sitting here and saying that the U.S. played a beautiful game and they dominated Ghana and they played the game of their lives and. You know, it, it was a textbook masterclass in the game. No, it wasn't that at all. But it was a U.S. team jumping out to an early lead, holding on to that lead. And then after getting punched in the face and giving up a goal in the 82nd minute and looking like they'd lose, looking like they'd blow the mm-hmm. lead and then pretty much ruin their World Cup, they get off the mat, they find a way to score a goal, and they score a winner when I can't imagine many people thought they could do it. And for them to respond the way they did, should, just says so much about this team. I mean, the way they responded, absolutely impressive. Um, and, and, and you know what? Got to give Ghana credit, right? Yep. It, it's funny to me how like people want to talk about how bad a game it was or, or for the U.S. or how the U.S. didn't play well, how ugly it was, blah, blah, blah. Yet for the past five months, all anyone anyone could talk about was how good Ghana is, how tough it's going to be, how how much it sucked that this group of death was put together because now you got to play Ghana. Everyone was afraid of Ghana, and you find a way to beat Ghana. What are people complaining about? I mean, obviously, ideally you would have liked to dominate them, beat them 3-0, and, and really kind of put your foot on their neck and just show that you the U.S. is clearly better than Ghana, right? Obviously, in an ideal world, that's what would have happened, but it didn't happen that way. At the end of the day, all that matters is the result. No mm-hmm. one's going to 10 years from now think about – well, the U.S. didn't have the edge of possession <laughs> in this game. No, they're going to remember it was 2-1. to one. They're going to remember John Brooks scored the winner. And, and maybe they're going to remember that this is the win that propelled them to the second round. And they're also going to remember that Dempsey scored in, in 30 seconds of the match. And, and that's the other thing in this, too, is when you look at it, kind of just the U.S. men's national team performance. Because I, I thought, you're right, I mean, Ghana did look pretty good in this game. And, and they did give it to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, for the majority of the match. But but the one thing, though, is with the U.S. scoring in 30 seconds, that completely changes the game. Ghana is then having to play catch-up for the rest of the game. For I mean, th- their mentality changes. Everything changes in that game. I'm not saying that, that they would. I mean, it could have been totally different, Ivis, if it was scoreless going into the second half. It would have been a totally different match. U.S. could have controlled possession. But, but but you know, scoring that quickly, as much as, as, as awesome as it was, it totally changed everything that that game was going to become. No, no doubt about it. And and, and uh, to a man, a lot, a lot of the players on the U.S. team said as much, you know, that, you know, you go in with a game plan, you're planning to high press, you know, put pressure on the team. But when you take a lead like that, that early in a game, it's just kind of human nature to kind of sit on the lead to kind of sit back and, and, and almost protect the lead, even though it's so early in the game. And I should point out, Ghana was shaky, not just the first 30 seconds. They were shaky like the first five minutes. The U.S. was all over them. The U.S., even after the first goal, the U.S. was putting pressure on. Ghana's defense looked just out of sorts, vulnerable, shaky. 
And the U.S. couldn't get a second goal. And once they settled down, Ghana kind of, I, I feel like that was like the slap in the face. And Ghana realized, look, we got nothing to lose now. We just need to exactly just not hold back and go at them. And and even with that, I thought the first half was still pretty good for the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they, they, they kept their shape well, defended well, and, and you know, there weren't a ton of really dangerous threats to the U.S., uh, to, the, to Tim Howard. The second half, obviously, things loose, uh, got loose, and Ghana really really took control, really put a lot of pressure on. Um, but then some guys really stepped up. Jeff Cameron stepped up. John Brooks stepped up. And then for me, the man of the match, Jermaine Jones, yep. was an absolute beast. And, and it's, I, I find it hilarious. Kept his cool the whole what? match, too. What's that? Jermaine Jones nah, kept his nah, cool. You know, you know he, he was just job, cool but, out there. Right, but you know what? Here's the thing. He always keeps his cool. He might hit yellow cards here and there. He might he might go in for the rough challenge here and there. But he never he's not he's never gonna have his Pepe moment where he's headbutting somebody or doing anything too crazy. He's always pretty much in control. But what I was gonna say is it, it, it's a, there's this kind of small and and there's opi- opinions vary on everything. You're never gonna get a hundred percent opinion on any, any topic. But it, there's this kind of small minority of people. Who, whose takeaway from this game about Jermaine Jones was that he had a bad game. And I think that's ludicrous. And, and you know, I, I know some people will say, oh, well, Christian Atu was giving DeMarcus Beasley all sorts of trouble, and Jermaine Jones should have helped him more. But, folks, ha- there's only one Jermaine Jones. You can't have him dropping back to help cover for DeMarcus Beasley and stay in the midfield and cover for Michael Bradley and help provide the support there. He can't be everywhere. He tries to be. He covers a ton of ground. He was all over the place. He tried to help as much as he could. But at the end of the day, Christian Atsu is an exciting and talented and dangerous young winger. He gave Demarcus Beasley all he could handle. Mm-hmm. That's not Jermaine Jones's fault. That's not even Beasley's fault. He, Atsu's a talented player, and, that, and you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with that. And for all the trouble Beasley had, you know what? At the end of the day, Atsu didn't score a goal. No. Atsu, Atsu, Atsu didn't have an assist. He had a lot of dangerous moments. He showed a lot of flash, showed a lot of quality, but he didn't have the final pass, final cross, final shot. So no harm, no foul. But for me, Jermaine Jones manned the match. He he was he inspired this team. Look, there were <clears throat> there were inspiring performances all over the field. So it's tough to kind of pinpoint one person and give them like any more credit than the rest. But for me, Jermaine Jones, he just stood out because not only did he help provide possession, which is something that they were struggling to get, he he helped put pressure on Ghana. Every chance he got, he won seemingly every challenge he went into, and he stood up to Ghana. He stood up to their their rough play, their physical play, and we all saw saw it saw it saw it as the, as the game went on, you know, mid to late first half, early second half. Ghana really got physical, really tried to beat up the U.S., and they needed somebody to step up to that. Jermaine Jones stepped up to that, set a tone, and and for me, I feel I feel like he kept the U.S. in this game. I completely agree. I thought Jermaine Jones was everywhere. Contributed to attack, broke up a lot of tackles. Going back to your point about Demarcus Beasley, and and I and yes, he he did have his hands full uh, for the majority of the match. But but the one thing that always impresses me about Demarcus Beasley, Ivis, is he never gets beat, and he always does a good job of keeping the defender in front of him. And yes, you, some people could say, oh, you know, there are a few crosses that came in from his side. But when you look at those crosses, they they weren't dangerous crosses. They they weren't in a they weren't in a in a goal-scoring, really, opportunity for Ghana. Because, I mean, it does help having Tim Howard in goal, but DeMarcus Beasley, he always keeps the guy in front of him, rarely gets beat. That's why I like watching him play. He, he I mean, he's just a crafty veteran. He, he knows what to do. Um, as far as right, other... Well I, well, I do want to say this. Like, I do, I do think people sometimes get caught up in what is the, what the definition is of someone getting beaten. Because you can pull, you know, you can pull a move on somebody... You could kind of shake them in their boots, yeah. leave them kind of twisted and turned. But if you don't beat that person and produce something mm-hmm. that is dangerous, that leads to something, it doesn't matter. Otherwise, it's a highlight reel thing. Exactly. It, it, it's like it's like N1 street ball where you can dribble through your legs and do this and that. But you know what? If you don't put the, <laughs> the basket, if you don't put the ball in the basket, it doesn't matter. And the game that comes to mind for me with Beasley is the Mexico game in Azteca. Because he had a lot of trouble in that game, too, where, you know what, uh, I, I think it was Javier Aquino uh, and Gio DeSantos, they really went at Beasley. They turned him inside and out, but he always recovered. Yep. He never stopped. He kept running. He kept staying in front of guys. And as much as they ran him ragged, as much as he was twisted inside and out, he did not give up a play. He did not get f- completely beaten. 
And 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 I think that gets forgotten because mm-hmm. what people remember is oh the move this guy made oh he turned him inside out oh, oh yeah he, yeah he juked them but and, and but then you don't think about the whole play you don't think of yes Atsu listen Atsu is a, is a great talent I mean I remember him in the under twenty World Cup one of the most exciting players in that tournament the kid is legit the kid's gonna he's be, quick me, he's gonna be a, I think he could absolutely be a star in Europe but he's still not the finished product and. Beasley, to his credit, as much as he – and it's funny because it's like you think about 12 years ago, Beasley was the number seven you know, youngster with the speed who was causing – giving guys headaches. Now he's on the other end of that having to deal with that as a fullback. <clears throat> but he stood his ground, and, and, and for me, I got to give him all the credit in the world because uh, you know, he, he's not going to get a ton of credit for his performance, but I think he did better than some people realize. Oh, and there was that one time when, when uh, DeMarcus Beasley was backpedaling. He fell on the ground, but – Popped up right away, kept the guy in front of him. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I always find it funny when, look, he, keeping guys in front of you. That that is sometimes is the key to defending. Not not you know not bone crushing 50-50 balls. I mean, just keeping the guy in front of you. Don't give him opportunity. Don't give him quality chances. Uh, as far as some I, other guy, I'm sorry. I do want to add one thing. Yes, I, think I this is funny to me. Oh my gosh, something gonna we, keep going. Something we heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really directly related to that, but I just I need to touch on this before I forget. But. How many times for the past months since the draw, really, have we heard people say whenever the U.S. played, whenever somebody would make a mistake, whenever a defender would get beat, you know, you know what, you know what you'd hear. You can't be doing that because if you do that against Ghana, they're going to punish you. They're going to score a goal. They're going to beat you every time. Guess what, folks? That didn't happen. They had a million chances. They converted one. They converted one. So I just wanted to point that out. I, I always thought that was hilarious that people act like, oh, in the World Cup, no one ever misses chances. Every, you know, a 99% conversion rate on chances at the World Cup. That's just not reality. And, that, <clears throat> and that's not to say that, oh, you know, you excuse shaky defending and this or that. But it's just to the point that, you know what, sometimes defenders get beaten. Sometimes defenders make mistakes. It doesn't mean you throw them out with the bathwater and go get the next guy. Mm-hmm. You have to give people ch- a chance to develop, a chance to go through their growing pains. And you know what? Perfect example, John Brooks. I mean, it, it, the guy I thought played great even before the goal. But people who weren't sold on him, as soon as he gets in the game, he has a bad clearance. And already it's like, oh, there he is. He's terrible. This is why he shouldn't be on the team. Meanwhile, on the same play, he stood up Asamoah John and made a great defensive play. And that set the tone for the rest of his performance. And, and you know, people are just too quick to want to throw dirt on people, too quick to want to just dismiss people and just assume that they're not good enough. Well, we saw John Brooks step up big time in the send-off series, and he looked very impressive in those games too. Uh, just to give you a little of an idea here, Ghana did have 13 shots, Ivis, but only three of them were on on target. So the U.S. did a good job of, of holding people in the box, keeping Ghana at bay. When you talk about other performances, you know, here we are talking about Beasley. You know, we've been talking about John Brooks. I mean, who are some other guys that really stood out for you uh, in the win against Ghana? Uh, well, Jeff Cameron, for one. Uh, I, I mean, I think the, fa- the fact that he had to play one half with Matt Beasley, then the other half with John Brooks, and he didn't miss a beat. He was also apparently sick as well, and he fought through that, and he really stood up to every challenge. I thought he played well. I thought Kyle Breckerman was outstanding doing what he does. And it has to be said, Michael Bradley did not have a good game by his standard. You expect so much of him. You expect him almost every time he takes the field to be the best or the second mm-hmm. best player on the field for the United States. He was not that player on Monday night. He struggled. He had uncharacteristic turnovers on several occasions, and it left you wondering, what's wrong with him? Is there something physically wrong with him? Is he concussed? Is is there something this was just not used to seeing him play this way? But no one's perfect. Sometimes players are going to have their rough nights. And it's up to the teammates to, to pick up the slack. And that's what you saw. Kyle Beckerman picked up the slack. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Jones picked up the slack. And between the three of them, they did a good enough job defensively of, of staying in front of the Ghanaian midfield and really forcing them to go wide. Because Ghana, you know, all, all of Ghana's uh, threats and service really were wide, except for obviously on the goal, Andre Ayu, you know, they had the nice combination play. Fabian Johnson gets beat. That's a nice sequence for them. But other than that, though, through the middle, they really had a tough time. And uh, what, one thing I would like to point out is, you know, it's crazy to me. People were already like, oh, Michael Bradley, what's wrong with him? He's terrible. Like, it's like, <laughs> yes, you're allowed to have a bad game, people. I want to know how many people really want to bet on Michael Bradley playing badly again. Hey, to me, that's I, that's, I, a, that's a check-check right there. The U.S. wins and Michael Bradley <laughs> does not have a good performance. I mean, that, that you that's a huge victory in itself right there. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, for me, if I could put money on Michael Bradley being man of the match the next game, I would put money on that yeah. because, I, I mean, knowing the way he is, knowing that there's no harsher critic of himself than he is, I know he knows, he has to know he didn't play well. And he's too good a player not to get bounce back from that and not to turn in a strong performance against Portugal. And look, and it should be no to be fair to him. I really you really got the sense Ghana had him as a marked man. Ghana kept bodies around him. Ghana knew he is the straw that stirs the drink. Look, Clint Dempsey's your captain. He's your most dangerous threat in the attack. But Michael Bradley's kind of that heartbeat of the team, keeps the ball moving. He is really that link to the attack from midfield. He just he's just the engine of the team. So they kept bodies around him, made it a little tougher for him. But even with that, he committed some turnovers that were just his fault. Just, you know, bad decisions or bad touches or bad, you know, like he just, it was just not his normally high level. And it's one game, folks. Let's see what he does against Portugal. I mean, I, I find it hilarious. I mean, I saw someone, and again, it's Twitter. So people on Twitter just say dumb things because, you know what, they're anonymous. They can say whatever. Yeah. Someone was like, is Michael Bradley's 2014 World Cup going to be land? Like, you know, this is going to be his Landon Donovan 2006 World Cup. And I'm like, dude, it's the 60th minute of the first game and you're already chalking his World Cup up as a failure? Or like, because look, Landon Donovan was awful in the 2006 World Cup. No two ways about it. Give Michael Bradley some time. The guy's too good a player not to rebound. And I, like I said, if you want to put early money down on man of the match for the second game, I'm putting that money on Michael Bradley. Oh, you know he's going to step up big time. Watch him have a couple of nice passes, and all of a sudden those people have this will just go, oh, oh, I knew it. I knew he was going to step up big time for the U.S. Um, one of the other things that, that did change big time in this match was the injury to Josie Altador. Um, bringing in Aaron Johansson, and, and, and you look, uh, I, I, you and I both agree that we think he's going to be a fabulous player for the U.S. men's national team, but, but we've talked about this before. You know, Having Josie, a guy up top who, who can play physical for 70, 80 minutes throughout the match, that's going to be huge for the U.S. And, and when he went down with an injury, Ivis, I mean, that kind of also really changed the mentality of the team. And before that, I, I thought Josie Altador was having a little bit of a highly productive match. I mean, hopefully Josie, I mean, Portugal probably doesn't look like it's going to happen, but I mean, hopefully they can get him back for that Germany game because the U.S. men's national team is going to need someone like Josie, who's a big body up top. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, as of right now, we haven't had a, a, a confirmed update on his injury status. Today, Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, sounded optimistic, or it sounded more like he was hopeful that Josie Altador would be able to come back for the tournament. But, I mean, when you looked at how bad it was, when you want to talk about hamstrings, I mean, I just definitely don't see him playing against Portugal. And seeing him come back for the Ghana, uh, for the Germany game, that's, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So the question now becomes, is it do you go with Aaron Johansson or do you go with Chris Wondolowski? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I know, I, and right off the bat, I know some people are going to look at it and say, hey, this is why you should have brought Terrence Boyd. Yep. And, I can't say, and I can't say I disagree because, I mean, I, I, I was a little surprised Terrence Boyd didn't make the team. Um, I thought maybe you could have brought one less midfielder and brought him on. Uh, but if you want to talk about the two guys that they have, Aaron Johansson is so far away from being what Josie Altador is from a physicality standpoint, from a true target striker standpoint. <clears throat> but he brings qualities to the table, right? I mean, I think he can go at people. He can combine maybe the 4-4-2 four, four, or 4-2-3-1 four, you know, with him as a target really isn't going to work for you. So you have to figure out what you do. Do you go with him or do you go with Wondolowski? Wondolowski is a better target forward option than than uh Johansson is so you could you could see Wondolowski and I, I I'd say this I think given the, the next opponent they're playing Portugal without Pepe without Fabio Contral who's out for the tournament now that's half of Portugal's defense out for this game um I could see I I think you're gonna see Aaron Johansson again uh I think the Ghana game was a tough game for him to get into mm-hmm. um especially the way it was a physical game and he just you know what he's not a physical player He's someone you, who can be pushed around. And I don't think Portugal's that kind of team. I think Portugal's more of a finesse team. They're more of a, uh, you know, they open things up. I think there's going to be more space to play, more opportunity to play some soccer. And I think the U.S. will be a little better about combining passes. And I think that'll work right into Aaron Johansson's strengths. So I think he'll start. And I think you'll see the, the Dempsey-Wandolowski tandem and maybe have Dempsey hold the ball a bit more. But I, I think for me, Aaron Johansson absolutely could be a player that makes an impact in this game. Would you say you could see Wandolowski starting against Portugal? I, I mean, for me, I, I think Aaron Johansson, I think he's a better fit. I think you could see one last thing against Germany. I mean, Germany, yeah. they they have the bigger, stronger center back, the better center back, stronger uh, center backs uh, to deal with. So, you know, Wondolowski being a more physical option. If you don't have Altidore for the Germany game, I think you could have Wondolowski in that game. But just stylistically, 
I think Aaron Johansson could do his thing against Portugal's defense. Well, it's going to be huge. I mean, that's why I, I think that the game against Portugal, if the, if the U.S. can obviously win that one, then you have to go. I mean, you got to hope that the U.S. wins on Sunday. Germany takes care of business against Ghana. Both USA and Germany can go into that third match. You got to hope that by that time the U.S. already qualified. That way, you hope a couple guys can get healthy uh, going into that round of 16 match. But Ivis, I mean, enough analysis. We, we could talk about that a little bit longer. I, I got to hear your thoughts of being at that match. I mean, there looked there looked like there was close to like 30,000 USA fans at that match. I mean, did it feel almost like a home game? Okay, now you're being ridiculous because the stadium only holds 39. So it wasn't it wasn't that <laughs> many. It wasn't that many American fans, but it was a lot of American fans. The most American fans I've ever seen at a World Cup match. And I, you know, I've been to uh, 13, I think 13 or 14 World Cup matches from 2002 to now with the U.S. And uh, the only game that really comes to mind where there was a really strong U.S. fan presence was the USA Italy match in, in Kaiserslautern in 06. And you know, I, I think a lot of those fans were actually Germans. I mean, I know there was, you know, there's the the uh, you know the the servicemen that are based in Germany that came out to the game so but I, I just feel like the, the American fans are in Brazil in force I mean you've heard reports of as many as twenty thousand fans I've met a lot of them in my travels and <coughs> they've <clears throat> they've made the trip down here and I really feel like a lot of people wanted to be in that stadium for that particular game because it's Ghana there's so much history in that matchup <clears throat> they wanted to be in the stadium the day that the U S got their revenge. And it was unbelievable, the atmosphere. I mean, it was easily more than half of the stadium was Amer- was like just straight, true blue, hardcore American fans. And and they let, they let their voices be heard. I mean, look, Ghana had their fan section, you know, nice, nice section. They, they, they had their, you know, their presence was felt. But the Americans, for me, dominated. I, I feel like it was like 65, 35. Um, and it was great to see. And it, there's no way it didn't help the U.S. team. I mean, but, uh, you know, Alejandro Bedoya today talked about that 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 has to help you right i mean you're you know you feel like you're at home you know you feel you and you know you're in brazil you're and i find this funny they're five thousand miles away from the nation's capital washington dc and you know when they play in dc they don't have home they don't even have the home field edge yeah. against you know some of the teams that they play but four thousand miles away in natal brazil they had the home field advantage and it was great to see and not just the scene in the stadium the scene at the airport after uh, just all the fans just, you know, converging and heading all their different ways. It seemed like 90% of them were going to Rio to party. <coughs> but it's great, man. It's just great to see the growing fan base, the fan presence here. I was at the AO party the night before in Natal. Uh, U.S. soccer sponsored it, and it was unbelievable. We talked about like 3,000 U.S. fans came out, and it was just an epic, epic event. And it's just growing and growing, the, the, the fan base that follows this team. That supports the team, and you see it, and you saw it in the videos, reacting to the to, to the John Brooks winner uh, back home in the U.S. All the fan, all the watch parties, and the fans, and I mean, I my my own family, and look, my family is not not huge soccer loving family. Uh, you know, my wife and kids, they're they're not into soccer that much, but you know, like I've mentioned on the show recently, you know, thanks to Panini stickers, my kids are have gotten into soccer. My son has really bought into the whole U.S. thing, and. They were all in this game. They were like, my son was freaking out about them, <laughs> them, you know, scoring the first goal, winning the game when they when Brooks scored the goal. Apparently, he was, you know, going nuts and like that for me, like that's amazing. Like I, you know, I didn't do that. Like I, I, I never pushed my son to like follow soccer, support soccer, or anything like that. You know, let him follow and find what he wants. And I think that's happening a lot in, in this country. I think you're seeing a lot of people really getting, you know, buying mm-hmm. in and catching the bug, so to speak, and catching that fever. And it's great. It's great to see, man, because I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've been covering, you know, this is my fourth World Cup. And I think back to 2002 and there was buzz for that team as that team got to the quarters. But it's it, it's nothing like what we see now. Yeah. And it only hopes that the U.S. men's national team is winning. They advance. Keep going, Ivis. Uh, it's outstanding. You know, one thing we didn't talk about, as you mentioned, we didn't talk about the goal scorers in this game. I mean, Clint Dempsey. What a finish from him. And I mean, John Brooks to get that goal, your first international goal. I mean, I'm pretty sure he has probably no memory of what happened. He probably barely remembers the celebration after. But, I mean, what two quality goals for the U.S. men's national team in this game? Well, look, Dempsey, not just the goal. Okay, he scored a goal. Great goal. Poised, 30 seconds in. Quality finish. Quality touches to set up the shot and score. (coughs) The guy played with a broken nose for 60 minutes. I mean, a broken nose. And, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you what. I'm sitting here talking to him after the game. Uh, we're in the post game. We're in the press conference for him because he was named man of the match by FIFA. And like, 
he I'm talking I asked him a question he's answering the guy could barely breathe he could barely talk I'm looking at him his looking me in the eyes his nose is pointed like a whole nother way it was like some straight boxing <laughs> it was like a boxing press conference it was ridiculous but I mean the guy the heart on this guy yeah I mean not just to play, but like just I mean, not that anyone should be surprised, but I, I found it pretty hilarious and pretty like telling that he gets kicked in the face, gets his nose broken, is getting treated on the sideline. And you saw the look in his eye like he wanted to kill somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you see some other players, if they get kicked in the face or even touched in the hit in the face, they're rolling around for a half hour. They're getting treatment. That, you know they're checking for blood. <coughs> they're in tears. He wanted he wanted a piece of somebody, and it just showed. I mean, that's just his competitive spirit. He does not back down. He has just got that just that that swagger to him. That that's Dempsey, fight. man. Dempsey doesn't that's take the, crap and, from and, anyone, and, and that's why you love the guy, right? Yep. So credit to him for that. And then John Brooks, man, look, this kid is a, this kid is a great kid. You got to love his. You know, if if you ever get a chance to meet the kid and talk to him, like. He is just like he is all heart. Like he isn't not. He has no ego. He's just a happy-go-lucky kid. World's a talent, and he wants to play for the U.S. He like he he's all in for the U.S. thing. And you know, I wrote a column for Gold.com after the match talking about Jermaine Jones and and John Brooks and how they became American heroes on that night at a time when there's still questions, or there had still been questions about them being on this team about the German Americans being on this team and are they American enough? And you know, there's always going to be that small contrarian section of the fan base that is going to be like, Oh, we should have only Americans or the issue has to be born in the country. And do these guys even really love the U S and the answer is yes, they do. And any questions about that were answered on that night because those guys left it on the field. Jermaine Jones left every ounce of, of energy he had on that field, the whistle blew 90 minutes. He was done. He laid on the ground. He had nothing left. He gave his all, and he had to give his all to help them win that game. So, anyone who still harbored those kind of reservations about all about that the German Americans on the team, it's like, listen, guys, these are Americans. They were born in other countries, but they're Americans. They're Americans by blood. They're Americans by law, and they're Americans by commitment. They have chosen to play for the USA. They have chosen to put on the jersey. Bobby and Johnson could be still in the mix for Germany if he wanted to be. I don't want to hear what anyone has to say about that. Absolutely could be still in the mix. John Brooks could still be in the conversation in the German youth ranks if he wanted to be. Same with Julian Green. These guys have all made the conscious decision to play for the U.S., and they all have bought in. It means something to each of them. So all this continued chatter from those kind of sections of the population, those sections of the fan base who don't think they're American enough, shut up. These guys have shown over and over they're committed, and they have sweat for this team. They've bled for this team. They've shown more than enough that they want to be on this team, and they deserve our respect. Uh, very well said, Ivis. I, could, I couldn't say it better myself. The, the Think about this. The, the last time the U.S. won the opening match in the group stage of the World Cup was in 2002 when the U.S. beat Portugal 3-2. to two. So so th- so not, not that I want to say this. Is, I mean, th- look, this is uncharted territories for the U.S. to kick off the World Cup with a victory. The next game is on Sunday against Portugal. Over the next couple of days, Ivis, what does the U.S. do? How do they prepare for this Portugal? I mean, obviously they need to get healthy. They they need to get rested. But kind of what 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 is going to be the mentality of the U.S. over the next couple of days here? Well, right now I can tell you what they're resting right now. They had to, the the players who played who started and who played and you know the starters plus John Brooks uh, were were given the day off. They were rested today. Everyone else went through some light training, and the whole team is off on Wednesday. So they're going to get their rest. They're going to get their chance to recover. Because it's let's face it, it was a really physical game. Josie Atzador, you know, strain at least a strained hamstring. Matt Beesler had soreness in his hamstring. Alejandro Bedoya had a hip issue. He had a slight hamstring issue. Although he says now he's okay. Clint Dempsey got a broken nose, and and you know Jeff Cameron was sick. So look, this team is beat up, battered, bruised. They need a couple of days. Let them recover. Let them lay in bed. Once they get back to work on Thursday, mm-hmm. the focus is on. Portugal, and I got to tell you, folks, 
don't assume and don't think because the, because Portugal got smoked by Germany that somehow all of a sudden they're not a good team, that somehow they're going to lay down, that somehow they're an easy mark right now. That Nothing could be further from the truth. This Portugal team is like a wounded animal. They're dangerous right now. They are desperate. So the U.S. has to still come out in this game in Manaus on Sunday and give and, and be ready to play and be ready to play better than they played against Ghana. They need to, if they want to win on Sunday, they're going to have to play better than they played against Ghana. And I, I, there's, they, I'm sure they agree. I know Klinsman agrees because Portugal is not going to be as bad as they were against Germany. And let's face it, folks, Germany makes, can make a lot of teams look bad. Germany is one of the top teams in the world. They're a juggernaut. They're a powerhouse. So don't go writing your, your round of 16 tickets just yet. The work is not done. They still have to get a result against Portugal. And you know what? What the positive thing is, if you think about it, the U.S., didn't play that great, and they still got a win against Ghana. There's still that room for improvement. There's still that room to get to to grow. And look, Michael Bradley, as we said, Michael Bradley played a bad game in first game. Mm-hmm. If he plays up to his normal level, then then I mean, just think how much better the U.S. could be. And like I said before, that's why I look at this as as a check check win. Michael Bradley underperforming, U.S. wins. You know he's going to step it up. That, that's a huge result for the U.S. men's national team. Speaking of huge results, Concacaf. You can't, they're not dominating the World Cup, but and what a great start for our region that we all play in. The U.S. with the victory, Mexico with the opening victory, Costa Rica, we talked about that with the 3-1 huge victory over Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay, excuse me. Uh, Honduras, unfortunately, they lost to France, but I mean, Mexico today on Tuesday playing Brazil to a scoreless draw. I and mean, I have his CONCACAF looking strong at the World Cup. It's awesome. Right, no, no doubt about it, and you know what? You got to start giving the region a little bit of respect. And I know the group stages are not over yet. There's still some tough games to play. The U.S. has tough games to play. Clearly, Costa Rica has some tough games to play. Uh, Mexico has, is, for me, you know, they have the most important game left to play. They got to play Croatia, uh, with the winner of that game, you know, likely advancing out of that group. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done, but you still got to feel good about the region. Uh, you know, CONCACAF just doing well because, I mean, so, you get, there's so much crap against CONCACAF. And look, no one's saying CONCACAF is on par with UEFA or Common Ball. I know the folks in Africa think, you know, they're better, they're better than CONCACAF. And you know what? They, they, they obviously have a ton of players playing in top leagues, leagues in Europe, so you can kind of see that. But it, it, only, it only bodes well for the Americans to have their teams in their region do well. If Costa Rica somehow gets out of that crazy group they're in, if Mexico advances, I mean, that is big bonus points for CONCACAF, and it helps the U.S., no doubt about it. If Honduras advances, it could happen still, Ivis, they're not eliminated. Oh, the, yeah, I'm sorry, Brian. The, 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 the Honduras, <laughs> is, it's, not, it's not looking good for them. I mean, I, you know what? Who knows? Like, yeah, you're right. Any, anything I mean, I, could happen. I, for me, I'd be happy to see them get their first win in a World Cup. I yeah. don't think they've actually won a World Cup match yet, so that'd be positive for them. You know, that, I think that's probably their goal more so than advancing out of the group. And I think, you know what, Costa Rica coming into the tournament, <coughs> when you think about, hey, they're in a group with Uruguay, Italy, England, if they we want. And I said it, man. I said Costa Rica is going to beat one of the teams in that group. And they did it. So now they have that confidence. They could, I, <clears throat> I tell you what, I don't know what the odds they would get in the game against England. But I, 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 you know what? I'd put some money down on them against England because I think that'd be a great. I think that's going to be a great game. Uh, Ivis, why you got to be making all the English fans listening to this show not happy? I don't. I don't think that many of them listen to the show. I <laughs> um, the one game I do want to talk about though: Mexico, Brazil. I mean, what an exciting game to watch! Ochoa, outstanding, and I mean, Ivis, Mexico, Croatia is not going to be an easy game. I thought Croatia looked really good. And we talked about this, a couple things, you know, kind of didn't go Croatia's way. That result against Brazil could have been a little bit different, though. But, I mean, Ivis, Mexico, they look really they look really good right now. I mean, they're playing well. They're exceeding expectations. I know people wrote them off after their awful qualifying campaign. But, you know what? They erased that from their memory banks. They went out. They beat a really, ba- really awful-looking Cameroon team in the first game, built that confidence up. And we've seen Mexico give Brazil tr- trouble in the past. I mean, that's not a new thing. I think stylistically, Brazil likes to play. Mexico likes to play. So it's an open game. And, you know, it, it kind of plays. To, they play to Mexico's strengths, which is why Mexico tends to get be in those games. But even having said that, look, Brazil could have very easily won this game. Memo Ochoa played out of his mind. Uh, so, look, Brazil, the, no one start the alarm bells on Brazil. Brazil 
Still a dangerous team, still a favorite to win this tournament. Um, but Mexico, man, I think, you know what? Even though Brazil is the top team in that group, the, the really tough game awaits, and that's Croatia. And I, tell you, and I, I really think, I, for me, I still like Croatia's chances. Uh, you know, I think they're a really top team, but if, uh, if if Mexico finds a way, if Mexico beats them and gets out of this group, that's a huge, that's a huge accomplishment for CONCACAF and for Mexico, considering the awful qualifying campaign they had. And Ivis, we've reached the end of the show, and today we're going to be doing an SBI Q&A. Before we record, Ivis will always put out on Twitter that we're going to be doing it, SBI Q&A. But you can always ask questions whenever you want. Remember, you have to use the hashtag, AskTheSBIShow on Twitter, and then Ivis and I always check. We go through your questions, and we don't answer them all, but we do answer some of them. So Ivis, first question comes from Casey Miller. Why the heck are Landon Donovan, Juan Agadello, and Terrence Boyd not on the roster without Josie? We're done. Well, Casey, they're not on the roster because Jordan Klinsman chose other players ahead of them. And for me, it's a tough call, right? Because, okay, Landon Donovan, right? Here's the question. Who would who would he be playing ahead of right now on this team? And that's the real question. Because I know that, you know, if you're you're in Klinsman and you decide Brad Davis and Graham Zussi give you better options on in the midfield, on the wings, he they give you better two-way work rate, they give you better service, they give you better set pieces at this point in time. It's hard to argue with Zussi. The guy hit the perfect uh, corner kick there on the on the winning goal. Um you know, I know everyone will quickly point to Julian Green and say, oh, hey, you could add Julian Green's spot. Yeah. But again, is Landon Donovan really going to be your last man on the roster on this team? And I think you went, I've said, I feel like I said this already a few times. When he, when, when, when you're in Klinsman set out to put this roster together, he wanted to build a team that could be a cohesive unit. Not anyone is kind of the kind of dominant figure on the team. There's several leaders on the team. And you know what? When it comes down to it, Landon Donovan was not a leader, is not a leader, was not a leader on this team. He was not one of the top options as a wide midfielder. He was not one of the top options as a forward when you look at what he contributes to what other guys contribute. When you talk about Aaron Johansson, is, is Landon Donovan right now a better option than Aaron Johansson? No, I don't think so. Uh, he's not the same kind of player on Lasky, so it's a little unfair to kind of compare those two. And he's not a target forward, so he's not, you know, Josie Altador's injury means nothing for him. I, I honestly, I think there's, at this point, more of an argument for missing out on Terrence Boyd, missing Terrence Boyd right now. Because I think, for me, I would have found a way to get him on the roster uh, for this very reason, because I think he was the best equipped guy. And I think I said that when the, when the 23 was chosen. Terrence Boyd was a guy I was, I was a little surprised to, leave, to be left off, because if anything happened to Altador, he was the best guy to take the place. So... You know what? It's 2020. You know, hindsight's always 2020, but you also can't force things and try to make it about Landon Donovan. And I know people are going to do that. I mean, that's just a given because some people still haven't let go and still think somehow this team would be better off with Landon Donovan. And as I said, for me, I would have found a way to put him on the team. But as of right now, like it, 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 it's not as if, uh, you know, if right now, if you if Klinsman had a mulligan. And he could bring Donovan in. Is Donovan starting against Portugal? I don't know about that. I don't think he would, honestly. I think Aaron Johansson is more likely to start. Or Wondolowski would be more likely to start. So, <clears throat> And even in midfield, <clears throat> I still think you go either Zussi or Bedoya uh, in the midfield. So from that standpoint, how much of a factor is the absence of a Donovan? Terrence Boyd, I'll give you that. Terrence Boyd, I think there's more of an argument. And Juan, Juan, Juan Agadello is not in that, in that conversation. He's not on that radar he, 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 you know what? He's got potential. He's young. One day, you know, four years from now in Russia, could he be a player on the, on the World Cup team? Absolutely. He's got the talent. But was he ready to be on this team? I just don't think so. I don't think he was better than the other options that were chosen. Uh, next question comes from David V. Do you think Clint's nose injury will affect his performance at the next game? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, when it, and it first happens and when you get hurt, you have the swelling. You have the fragility of the bone in the nose. Now, obviously, I'm sure he's had that addressed. He, now he can wear a mask. The swelling's gone down. He can breathe again. Um, and, it, you know, Jurgen Klinsman was pretty funny in the post-game press conference because, uh, you know, hey, he was, you know, obviously a, a great striker in his day. And he was like, you know, I, I had I had my, my nose broken three or four times and it was not the problem. So, you know, for him, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he, he's like, he doesn't think it's a problem. 
no one, uh, no one that we talked to seemed to think it was a, it would be a problem, and neither did uh, neither did Dempsey. So I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. Right now we don't know if he's going to wear a mask, uh, but if he does wear a mask, I hope he wears like some kind of badass mask with like an outline of Texas on it or, or something crazy, just because it's Clint Dempsey. But you know what? As long as he's on the field, I think he'll be fine. And uh, you know what? It, 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 another positive is Pepe is suspended for the match. You don't have to worry about Pepe elbow, elbowing him in the face or or headbutting him or anything like that. So that's another positive. Uh, next question comes to Randall Scape. Any chance we see DeAndre Yedlin or Julian Green in the next two group matches? That's an interesting one. Yedlin, I don't think so. I mean, I think Fabian Johnson's your right back. He's not going anywhere. Uh, and left back, I think Beasley and Tim Chandler are your guys. So, uh, you know, knock on wood, if something happened to Fabian Johnson, then that definitely shakes things up, and then you kind of almost have to put Yedlin in. So, uh, he, you know, he could play, but as of right now, I think it would take an injury for him to play. And, and uh, as for Julian Green, it's tough to say, you know. I mean, when you look at the guys coming off the bench, obviously the bench is shortened now for this game because of Altidore being injured, but you still have Graham Zussi. You still have mixed disc You still have whichever forward doesn't start. So that's multiple attacking options right there that he has to kind of fight to get ahead of. So I think we'll see how the game goes and see how Portugal's makeshift defense plays. And if it's a case where, you know, Klinsman thinks that pace is a little bit more of a, 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 a dangerous threat or a little bit more of an effective uh, tool to use against Portugal's defense, then then you could absolutely see Julian Green. Uh, next question comes from Jake Dixon. Attacking has been rewarded in this World Cup. What can the U.S. men's national team do to break out of its defensive shell? Really? Really, Jake Dixon? Break out of their defensive shell? Yeah, two goals they were not sh- enough, Ivis. They scored in the 30th second of the match. They took it to them. They got the lead. They held it. Uh, I think they're going to go at Portugal. I think they're going to attack Portugal. And, and, and there's just something to be said for when you get an early lead mm-hmm. to kind of naturally sit on that lead and sit kind of, you know, sit back a bit. Uh, you obviously love getting that goal, but it, it, it shakes things up. You know, it changes things up in the way you approach things. It's kind of a mental thing uh, uh, for players across the board. Um, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think they're playing. Uh, they're going to go into that Portugal game, Portugal game being ultra defensive. I think, they're going to go at them, which is what they did against Ghana. If The first five minutes of the Ghana game, even after the goal, the, the five minutes after that goal, they were going at Ghana. Ghana's defense looked shaky. Ghana's defense mm-hmm. looked vulnerable. Unfortunately, the U.S. couldn't get that second goal at the time. So that let Ghana get off the mat and really get into the match. Um, I do not see the U.S. sitting back. I think the U.S. knows that Portugal's the team with the pressure on them. And they know Portugal's going to try to come out and impose them, impose their will. You can't sit and absorb that. You have to match fire with fire. They have to go at Portugal, and I think they will. Next question, Ivis, comes from Taylor Clark. Was Zuzi the difference maker as a sub last night? He was a difference maker. I don't know if he was the difference maker. Obviously, he had a nice corner kick, but beyond that, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say he was tearing the world, you know, apart. I mean, John Brooks was your guy. I mean, not only did he score the winner, but he made a ton of defensive plays. Uh, you know, cleared away so many threats. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to kind of lose sight of that because you know what, a, a, a simple defensive clearance maybe is easy to kind of ignore. And he, but he had a ton of them. He had a ton of them. He used every inch of his six foot four frame, or six foot six, or however the hell tall he is. The guy's, the guy's tall. He's like a condor. Um, but he cleaned up so much there. So for me, yeah, he, I think, I, he was the impact sub in, in the match. Uh, next question is from Tim Brown. Is it possible to do a basketball like boxing one on Ronaldo? Uh, no, that's not that's not reality. I mean, you're gonna keep your defensive shape. You're gonna obviously want to help. Uh, you know, and, and look, I think the the first step in kind of dealing with Fabian Johnson. I mean, dealing with Ronaldo is put Fabian Johnson at right back. I think you know they, he's your best fullback. He's got some speed. You know, it's tough for anybody to deal with Ronaldo, but. All you can do is try to put your best full back up against them and then get some help from the midfield. And I think that's going to be key for whether it's Graham Zussi or Alejandro Bedoya playing on the right side of that midfield to help close that space. And also for the defense to close down the passing lanes because, you know what, Ronaldo's not – I mean, maybe he could because we've, we've seen him do it, but Ronaldo still has to get some service. I don't think he's going to dribble through the entire U.S. defense in 40 yards and score. I mean, he could. I mean, it's in his repertoire, right? I mean – um, but you know, as long as they keep their shape defensively, and as long as Fabian Johnson can kind of stay honest and not reach and 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 you know 
avoid silly mistakes. I think I think they can contain Ronaldo, and I think it helps that you know it does seem like maybe he's not 100 percent right now. And this next question comes from Kevin Druff. I think I recall you saying you don't cheer. So what are your thoughts on this from Twelman? And he's referring to a thing that Taylor Twelman said. In quote, I believe what Taylor Twelman said. I bleed red, white, and blue, and no matter what I give for my professional opinion, it will never take away from where my heart is, uh, end quote from Taylor Twelman. Thoughts on that, Ivis? Well, I mean, I don't know what the guy wants me to say. Taylor Twelman, look, Taylor Twelman played for the U.S. national team. The guy has 30-something caps, I think. I mean, I, th- I, don't, I hope I, I'm not totally off on that number, but I mean, he played for the U.S. He's a former U.S. national team player. Like, it's a little unrealistic to think that a former player – is not going to have an emotional attachment to the team he played for and represented. That's that's unrealistic. When I say that I don't really normally cheer, uh, you know, it's because I'm not I'm not a fan. But at the same time, I will say this, and I'll be honest now: when you're at the World Cup, you know, you see all the fans here, you see all the people from all over the world, you see them wearing their jerseys. You, you know, it, it's it's this you know this great rainbow of of nationalities here. You do feel your sense of national pride. You are what you are. I am an American. I, that has that does not change because I'm here rep- because I'm here covering the U.S. national team. But I do have to kind of <coughs> be impartial and and not you know let emotions cloud my judgment. And, and but that doesn't mean everyone has to be that way. It doesn't mean that you can't be a fan and, and also cover the team. I'm not saying that either. But I'd say for me personally. And I think for most sports writers in general, and that's not a new thing in the U.S. especially, uh, it does, I feel like it makes your job a little easier when you're not that emotionally attached to the subject matter because you can be a little more objective. And I know maybe that'll piss some people off who say, oh, so if, I, if I'm a fan that I can't be objective. And, I, and I'll say, you know what? No, I don't think you can because I think when emotions get involved, it's just, it's just a natural thing where you're going to see things skewed in a certain way. And, that, and I think for me, I think it helps – my analysis of the team to not be emotionally attached. And I think that goes for co- my coverage of MLS, that goes my coverage of U.S. national team. That's just the way that I approach it. Having said all that, I, you know, I've been, I've, you know, like I said, I've covered more than a dozen U.S. national team World Cup matches. And you get caught up in it. You get caught up in it. You know, you're, you're there with media from all over the world. You know, you got Ghana. And look, the Ghana media, they're fans. They, there's no hiding their allegiances they're in there with you know full-blown Ghana regalia you know you know variations of the flag in their clothing scarves shirts hats that's just their culture right in their culture their media they're they're proud they're proud to be kind of you know they're proud of their country they're proud of their their team and they and and they're even though they're journalists they're, they're journalists they support their team outwardly, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's their culture. Like you can't say that that's good or bad. But obviously, in the U.S., it's a little different. In the U.S., for the most part, traditionally, journalists are, are supposed to be objective. They're supposed to not be emotionally attached. And another thing, I'll say this: even if you are a fan starting out, once you actually cover a team, when you're around a team, and this isn't just like national team we're talking here. We're talking pro sports, even pro guys. And, and I, I know tons of you know I have the tons of uh, sports writer friends who have gone on and covered a team that they they rooted for their entire lives, pro sports teams. When you're around a team long enough, when you cover a team and you kind of see the behind the scenes stuff, you get to know the people on the team, you get to know the players, you get to know the coaches, you get to know the inner workings and you, how, quote unquote, how the sausage is made. It changes your view of things. <laughs> it changes your view of things. And it's a little easier then to kind of detach yourself uh emotionally and not be so tied in and look that's not for everybody i I just want to point that out i'm not judging i'm not saying uh, oh if you're a fan then you can't be uh you can't cover a team properly because no i think i mean i i know that there are people out there who cover teams and do a pretty good job of that um but having said that i feel like in a lot of cases i'm not saying all but in many cases i see clearly where emotions get in the way where emotions cloud judgment and emotions make covering a team difficult. And for me, it makes it I think it makes it easier for me not to have that. <coughs> but you know what? I spent 80 plus minutes sitting next to some folks who were outwardly cheering for Ghana. Outwardly like going ooh and ah when Ghana would come close. And you know what? As an American, you're sitting here like, dude, I'm here trying to cover this match. 
what is your like just can you just cover this match like i'm thinking to myself and these weren't even Ghanaians; these were like brazilians right so it's like okay brazilian guy who like doesn't like has no reason to root for ghana stop rooting for ghana because you're not gonna so so when brooks scored i tell you what i might have i might did a little fist pump i might have did a little yeah buddy how about how, how's that you know what i mean like, I'll, I'll, I'll put that out i'll put that out there but that was a little bit you know going at going back and forth with the guy next to me uh so you know what there is that there, in in no matter how impartial we're gonna be or try to be you're still american and i and i'll never forget the 2002 world cup right i'm young my first world cup my first world cup game um i'm in i'm in korea it's usa portugal walking around and there's these port, and I feel like I've told this story before. Portuguese journalists walking around, their noses in the air, like, oh, we got to play the Americans. We're going to have to kick their ass now. This is going to be easy. Cakewalk. Let me just sip my espresso and watch this blowout. And I'm sitting here like, these guys, really? Like, like I know Portugal's <laughs> good, but man, you guys are like, you need to like settle down a little bit. So, you know what? Was I a little like content when the US took a 3 0 lead on Portugal that day and went on to beat them that day? Was I a little like, smug and look at them like oh what happened i thought you guys you know i like there's that there there, it, there is that there is some of that i'm not going to deny that i'm not a robot right you're gonna you're gonna have that like kind of thing where your national pride is in there but it doesn't overtake you uh, me personally it doesn't overtake me i'm not sitting there with a with a with a scarf or or jumping up and down or your you know, face but, painted no no uh, yeah so <clears throat> to each their own Everyone can do approach things they, the, the way they want. And look, Taylor Twelman again. The guy played for the U.S. national team. I tell you what, if I had played for the U.S. national team, I would be I would be out outrageous. I'd be out of control. I'd be I'd be like I'd wear like a jersey under my suit. I mean, like like come on, like he played for the team. He can do what he wants. He can say what he wants. He can root. Um, you know, as to a point, right? And even he will say that. Like he still has to try to. Uh, deliver an effective broadcast, and I th- and, and I think Taylor does that. And, and but no one, no one should take anything away from Taylor Twelman because he gets a little emotional about a team he played for. Come on, Ivis. Next question comes from David Bresky. You get one former U.S. men's national team player in his prime to put on this roster, past or present. Who is it? Man, that's such a tough question. I say Brian McBride. That's my answer. Well, right now because of the injury, oh yeah, that's a that'd be pretty perfect actually right now. So I mean, actually, the two people that I was thinking of um, were, yeah, you know what? Eh. Well, look, Landon Donovan in uh, 2002, Landon yeah. Donovan right now with his speed. Uh, the other person I was thinking of was Claudio Arena in his prime. 2002, look, that 2000, 2002 team is so stacked because you can go 2002 Landon Donovan, 2002 Claudio Arena. Even 2002 healthy John O'Brien. I mean, come on, like th- those guys would make the help make the midfield that much better. So, you could not go wrong with either of those. Hey, Tab Ramos, you can go Tab. You know, 94 Tab Ramos. Uh, so many good options. Um, but yeah, Brian McBride with Josie Altidore's injury. If you had the time machine and whatever it is, fantasy land thing going on, in his prime, Brian McBride would be absolutely perfect for this team right now. I have this next question comes from John underscore D wire. Uh, how much did Ghana's pace contribute to Bradley's performance? Should we expect less pressure in the midfield from Portugal? Well, as I said, I thought Ghana targeted him to a degree, but there were still a lot of plays where he made the turnover, where he kind of forced the play <coughs> where he tried to be a little too quick and he had where he had time. He had more time. So, a lot of the a lot of the bad plays were, were were his own doing, so I think from that standpoint it wasn't all Ghana. Ghana obviously contributed to that, but I think you know Bradley can look at that film and say, you know what, on a lot of these plays I should have and could have done a lot better. This one's a two parter. Some guys asked uh, Matthew Felix, and uh, I can't find the other one. I'm horrible. Uh, Randall Escape asked the same question. Pretty much, they're pretty much asking you, Ivis, how awesome is this World Cup right now? Uh, it, uh, I tell you what, man. I wish I could give a little more color on this tournament, but like I, I'm on a hamster wheel, man. We're running around, uh, we're flying everywhere. We're we're covering the game. Look, it's great. It's awesome. Look, hey, I get paid to watch the World Cup. I'm not complaining. Believe me, it's it's like the you know who I love my job. I'm not gonna say it. No, 
Um, I would like to see more Brazil. I wish, you know, I have a little, tomorrow I think I'm going to have a little time to, to go around and check things out uh, and maybe soak a little, soak it all in. But the vibe here is amazing. Brazil is a great country. I mean, come on. How do you not love Brazil with the, the love for the sport here and the vibe and the energy and the, and the passion? Uh, it, it's a great, it's a great country. And, you know, we, we've had a chance to, I've had a chance to so far be in Sao Paulo and Natal. I go to Manaus this weekend. I go to Recife after that. I come back to Sao Paulo. I go to Rio. I go to Brasilia. So I'll let, give me a month. In a month from now, then I'll give you the full report. But right now, it's been great. It's been great, man. The opener was amazing. And obviously, USA-Ghana, man. Who's going to forget that match anytime soon? Uh, next question, Ivis, comes from... I'm horrible. I just lost it again. Man, I'm sucking today. Uh, Luke, say it's Belgium 1, Korea, South Korea number 2. That comes out of Group H. And the U.S. is in Group G. Just so everyone knows, G and H play each other. Would you rather USA finish 1 or 2? Listen, no disrespect to South Korea, but this is not a question. If the U.S. could play Korea instead, South Korea instead of Belgium, you play South Korea instead of Belgium. Belgium is stacked. I know they fell behind 1-0 to Algeria. They are still stacked. They have so much talent, so much quality all over the field. You don't want any part of them if you can avoid it. But look, when it comes down to it realistically, Germany looks unstoppable. They, they, it's gonna, You know what? <coughs> if, you, if you're the U.S., you're happy to finish second in the group. You're happy to get to the round of 16. If that means playing Belgium in the round of 16, so be it. Then you go out on your sword, you play Belgium, you give it your all, and, and maybe you pull the upset. Um, obviously, they'd rather play South Korea, but realistically speaking, I mean, I think if the U.S. is going to get to the uh, round of 16, they're probably going to play Belgium. Next question, Ivis, comes from ESUSA. Would you mind Zuzi and Brooks starting versus Portugal? I think you could definitely see that. I think Matt Be- – here's the thing. If Matt Beasley is healthy, you still have to go with Matt Beasley. And, look, nothing, take nothing away from John Brooks, quality performance from him. But, look, Matt Beasley is your number one center back. He's, he, he's quality. He's got the speed. He's got the touch. He can pass. He doesn't have the size that Brooks has, obviously, but I think he's, he's a more experienced player, kind of more mature player. Uh, you, if he's healthy, you start him. No doubt about it, in my opinion. I don't even think it's a debate. Uh, but if there's an issue with that hamstring, if it's not 100%, then you know what? You shouldn't have a problem with Brooks because as young as he is, the kid's good, man. The kid walked into that that you know pressure cooker of a game in the Ghana game, and 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 he was like he was batting balls away, uh, you know, like like I don't know, like it, it's like the Karate Kid, and he just you know taking on all comers. Uh, so it was great to see. So if Beezer can't go, I think I think John Brooks can have another good game. And Ivis, the final question comes from Eric Garment. What current Major League Soccer rookies have the potential to get U.S. men's national team call-ups in the future? Well, as of right now, I have so much World Cup on the brain. I, I, like, I feel like I took the MLS portion of my brain and like put it away in my luggage. But I will say, look, Harrison Ship, obviously, Harrison Ship, you got to love what you see from this kid. Uh, he's very skilled, quick, good service. Already at his young age, you see him, and he's like, as far as Americans go, he's one of the best Americans for, in terms of set pieces in MLS already at, at his age. I mean, it's crazy. So <clears throat> he's someone that bears watching. Uh, I think Eric Miller in Montreal could develop into somebody who could be in the pool. Obviously, he was on the U20 team, so he's right there. Um, Patrick Mullins, obviously, he's played well. I mean, is that going to translate to the national team? That's a little tough to say because from an athleticism standpoint, I don't know if he's – if he projects to the next level or if he's going to be someone, if he's going to become a little bit more like the Pat Noonan type guy who can really excel in MLS, but maybe not necessarily make it to the next level. So that one's still, I feel like maybe the jury's still out on that. Um, beyond that though, I gotta, I gotta put, I gotta say, like I said, I gotta put the MLS chip back in my brain and right now it's, uh, it's not there. So, uh, I hope hopefully that gives you a little bit of an answer at least. Oh, Ivis, man, that wraps up today's SBI show. Yes, sir. I got to say, I didn't know if we were going to get one done again, but, uh, you know, thankfully, thanks to the fine folks at U.S. Soccer, they, they, they set us up with a nice little media room here at our hotel, which is like the one area in the whole hotel that has, like, good Wi-Fi, which is, you know, unfortunately, the Wi-Fi in our room is atrocious. So uh, it's good to get the show uh, back on. And I, I got to say, man, I've met so many of our listeners in Brazil, man, and it's uh, it, it's – it's gratifying stuff, man, to, to meet the – I wish you were out here to meet them because, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of the, – there's a lot of listeners out there that, that are here – down here in Brazil. A lot of them asking for you, Garrett. 
And a lot of them asking me about Shirley Temple. So I think your, your, your whole message is resonating now. So no one's bought me one yet. I, I, I know. What, what is up with everyone? Why can't someone just buy you one? Everyone's so well, pathetic. It, well, look, to be fair, we're never actually at a bar when, this, when that comes up. So I don't know if they make Shirley Temples in Manaus. But I'll I tell you what. The day that someone buys me Shirley Temple, I don't even know what's in a Shirley Temple. So I don't even know if they can make those in Brazil or if they do make those in Brazil. But uh, you know what, Garrett? The, I think the main point is, uh, our, our listener base is growing and it's great to hear. And, uh, we appreciate that. And, and every time I meet somebody who's a listener, uh, it means the world to me. So it, it lets us know that, you know, what we're the, the effort and the work we're putting into this show is paying off because that, that's what we want. We want to deliver a good show, uh, give, give everybody, uh, a quality alternative and, 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 and you know, not to, there's no disrespect to any other shows out there, but, you know, we feel like we want to try to put the best show out there that we can put out there. So hopefully mm-hmm. uh, you guys keep enjoying it and we're going to keep on putting it out. I completely agree with that. Ivis. We appreciate everyone listens to the show. And, yeah, there are some people out here in Phoenix who do listen to the show too. So, and, I, and I do see you from time to time at certain events. So, you know, all those people are very nice. They always, you know, they always thank us for the show. So everyone, Ivis is right. Thank you for listening to the show. To answer your quick question, Ivis, a Shirley Temple is a non-alcoholic drink. So we don't want anyone buying you a Shirley Temple. So... Screw yeah, that. But what is it made of? What is it made of? Oh, like, I just deleted it? the uh, Wikipedia entry. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, the co- here, here's what people need to be buying. You a Cosmopolitan. It's vodka, triple sec, cranberry juice, and a freshly squeezed lime or, or lime juice in there. I mean, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, but it, I thought you said it was non-alcoholic. No, no, no. Shirley Temple is not an alcoholic. The, a Cosmopolitan drink that is alcoholic. Oh, okay. Shirley Temple. So just, I'll tell you right now what it is. I think so. It's, people need to buy, so people need to buy me a Cosmo. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or yeah, Cosmo's not bad. Shirley Temple is ginger ale and a splash of grenadine and a splash of orange juice. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, but that's not alcoholic though, unless someone put like you know some vodka in there or something. <laughs> that's fine. But you know what? It's great. And and the next stop after this is Manaus. Uh, I'll be at the England-Uruguay game here in Sao Paulo on Thursday. And then we're off to Sao Paulo. I mean, we're off to Manaus this weekend on Sunday for USA-Portugal. And, uh, you know, i tell you what, folks. If you're listening to this show and uh, we, we got to come up with some kind of uh, some kind of contest that, mm. you know, the, the first person who listens to this show who runs into me and uh, we got to give them a code word or something because then, then we could do a prize. We could, I feel like we should do a prize. Now, what's the know. code word then? I don't know. I don't know. Let me see. What's the fruit? Ivis drools. Garrett rules. That's that's dumb. Uh, that, that, that rhyme though. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> hmm, two thousand. I'm trying to something from the two thousand and two <coughs> World Cup. Let's think. Let's think. Who was what, what was memorable about the two thousand? I don't know. I was three years old when that happened, so I, I can't tell you anything. Jesus, man, you're killing me. You're so young. Um, well. You know what? First person who listens to the show and runs into me in Manaus and says, "John O'Brien, you, uh, we will, we will give you a prize. We got to think of a good prize, but we will give you a prize. Uh, we'll come up with a good one. You'll give so. them, uh, you give them their, you can give them your press pass, and they can give you their ticket <laughs> to the game. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But no, man, I wish, I wish. Uh, no, you know what? We'll get, we'll get them a shout out on the show, and uh, and then some kind of. U.S. national team-based prize. Speaking of prizes, I got to figure out who won our contest, our last contest. Oh, yeah. Uh, on picking the 30-man roster, which was like 100 years ago. I'm sorry. I apologize to whoever won that contest. I know we never, we didn't get you your scarf, but we will figure that out. I had somebody who was chasing me down forever about that, and then it turned out they didn't even win, which I thought was pretty hilarious. But whoever it is, if you're out there and you – I believe he kept contest, telling us that he won too. I know, and then he figured <laughs> out he didn't. Which I thought was didn't we stick our intern Franco on this? Nah, he's not. A, he's he's graduated. He's not an intern. What anymore. I thought he was. He's oh. full blown SBI World Cup <laughs> correspondent now. So uh, we're gonna have to get him on the show pretty soon because he's he's hungry for he's hungry for that superstar status that you 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 uh, you hold. So, I'm not uh, even a superstar, dude. I, I don't know. A lot, I'm, a lot sweat, of people, I'm sweating. I'm sweating my my balls off here TV, in Phoenix. I'm not a superstar. You're on TV in Arizona. You know you're a big time. You're a big time. But anyway, that's uh, out here in yeah. Arizona, dude. That that that's like that's like we don't, dude. All right, we're all right. so anyway. far off the soccer map in this city. It's not even crazy. Anyway, so, it so, is crazy. Well, okay, last thing. Con- okay, so if you're in Manaus, if you're listen, if you listen to the show, and hopefully no one freaking 
like rigs the game and 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 starts telling people what the, look you've listened to this hour long show you've earned this point you've earned this chance to win this contest folks so if you listen to the show and you run into me in Manaus and you say John O'Brien you will be the contest winner first person to do that from Saturday on you 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 win a con- you win the contest and we'll we'll figure out a really good prize for you that works for me all right Avis well I'm going to let you go. It's pretty late for you. You have tons of World Cup stuff to do tomorrow. So I'm going to let you go, man. Have a, have a wonderful day tomorrow in Brazil. Thanks, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. If you're down in Brazil, have a great time. Everyone else, enjoy the games this week. Ivis and I will be back again later this week, breaking down the World Cup and the U.S. men's national team. This is the SBI Show.